Okay, whatever your blessing to you all, and welcome back to Open Air Pulpits. Last week, we arrived at Jeremiah chapter 26, and please go to Jeremiah 26, and I want to read verse 13 again. Therefore now amend your ways and your doings and obey the voice of the Lord your God. And the Lord will repent him of the evil that he hath pronounced against you. Doctrinally aimed at Israel, spiritually speaking, we can aim this at anyone, anywhere, at any time. Therefore now amend your ways and your doings and obey the voice of the Lord your God. And the Lord will repent him of the evil that he hath pronounced against you. Turn or burn, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Scripture says how the Lord takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And yet time after time, people refuse to repent. People put up every excuse under the sun and they do so in desperation to avoid being judged by Almighty God. But go back to what I said at the end of part one to this uh, two-part message that when people die without Christ, and they arrive at the judgment, it will be just everyday people. Doctors, nurses, teachers, plumbers, plasterers, electricians, carpenters. I mean just everyday people. Sure, the devil will be probably at the lowest point of hell, and then the minions that he was able to work with and decided to join him in the rebellion, and then above those people, the popes, cardinals, bishops, archbishops, all of the so-called Christian leaders over the last 2,000 plus years. But most of the occupants in hell are going to be just ordinary people, everyday people. And this is why it's so devastating when you take the time to think about eternity. In fact, look at it this way. Let's say you were to check into a hotel and it, say, has 100 rooms. And the top room, or the, the nicest room in the hotel, is the top floor, the uh, pent suite, or the penthouse, I think they call it. <laughs> Not that I would know. And they say, well, to uh, stay at such a place, or to hire a room, it's going to cost you, say, 500 pounds a night. And then the floor below it, it'll cost you 100 pounds a night, and then the floor below that, 50 pounds a night. You get the idea. It's the same hotel, but there are different rooms, and that's what hell will be like. The same place, but different compartments. Look at verse 15. But know ye for certain that if you put me to death, ye shall surely bring innocent blood upon yourselves and upon this city, and upon the inhabitants thereof, for of a truth. The Lord hath sent me unto you to speak all these words in your ears. Could you say that? Let's say you were put before a court and they wanted to examine you <clears throat> down to every minute detail. Could you say with some level of assurance that you are innocent? Innocent blood. And on top of that, if you put me to death, you will bring my blood upon this city and upon the inhabitants thereof. Could you say that? This goes back to the fact of the matter that our hearts, whether we are saved or unsaved, are desperately wicked. Who can know it? And Paul would say also from the book of, uh, book of uh, Romans how in his flesh 
dwelt no good thing. We put no confidence in the flesh. And that's why I like to <clears throat> remind myself, like every day when I shave, <laughs> and I look into uh, the uh, mirror as I shave each morning, to remind myself that I'm no good. Of course, I don't need to do so. I know that I'm no good. That's why I need a savior. But most people don't need a savior. Most people don't want to be saved. But here, Jeremiah, unlike Stephen, unlike the Lord Jesus Christ, wants such people to know that if they put him to death, they will be judged for doing so. And yet Christ would say to his father on the cross to forgive them, the Roman soldiers, for they know not what they do, which is probably the correct, is probably uh, correct because they were pagans, they were polytheists, they had no idea what they were doing. <coughs> the uh, religious leaders, of course, knew exactly what they were doing. But here, Jeremiah almost wants vengeance. He is angry that he has been detained. He is angry that he is going to be put potentially to death for being a witness, for being Jehovah's spokesman. Whereas Stephen <clears throat> was okay about it. He wasn't calling for hellfire. He uh, would be praying, interceding on behalf of those that were moments from executing him, much like the Lord Jesus Christ. So by this time in uh, Jeremiah's ministry and this point in the book of Jeremiah, you've got repentance once again offered to Israel, 26.13. <clears throat> and yet Israel as a nation, society as a people, don't want repentance. They want to do their own thing. In fact, this past week, we uh, heard about the death of Martin McGuinness, Northern Ireland's most infamous terrorist turned politician, a Roman Catholic, one of the leaders of IRA Sinn Féin, and he was responsible for the death, for the murder of perhaps hundreds of people going back 40 years, and yet he was covered by uh, politicians, he was covered by priests in his church, he was also covered by wealthy Irish American Catholics in New York. They couldn't touch him for decades, and when it suited him and his party, he decided to call it a day. He decided to announce that there would be a peace process that IRA Sinn Féin, a Catholic left-wing organization, were going to surrender. Although I think history would suggest to the country, perhaps the British government threw in the towel, I don't know. We know from reports going back to the 1970s that Ted Heath, the Prime Minister of the day, was right on the cusp of defeating Sinn Féin IRA. Back in the 1970s, the British government had what was called internments, and they would round up Irish Republicans and just hold them indefinitely. may not have been technically uh, legal, but they brought in uh, emergency laws, and they detained such people, like the Americans have done in Cuba with uh, Islamic fundamentalists because they were combatants and 1972, 73, 74 it was suggested by those in Westminster that Sinn Féin, IRA were almost at the point of collapse. Heath lost his nerve, the security services wanted him to go in for the kill and he decided not to do so and as a result the troubles went on for another couple of decades.
but I was appalled to see many people going to McGuinness's uh, Catholic funeral. He had a requiem mass. I saw Alistair Campbell, Tony Blair's previous spin doctor, who once said, incidentally, we don't do God, and yet he was happy to do God during uh, McGuinness's uh, requiem mass. I saw two former Irish prime ministers. Well, I would expect them to be there. They are Catholic, of course. But of concern to me was when I saw two former uh, first ministers from Northern Ireland. And one of those former ministers, incidentally, would have you believe that he is a Bible-believing Christian. Why are you going to such a place? There was a story in Scotland back in the 1980s of a well-known Protestant lord, I can't remember his name, he was a Presbyterian, a Calvinist, and uh, one of his peers, one of his colleagues passed away and he went to his requiem mass. And word got back to this man's church and they were just appalled that one of their brothers, one of their fellow Presbyterian uh, Calvinist brothers, as I say, would go to such a place, a Catholic mass, which believes that they can and will crucify Christ again and again and again, and they reprimanded him. They disciplined him. Absolutely amazing. I wonder if this will happen uh, with those two leaders from Northern Ireland, Protestant leaders from Northern Ireland. Let me say this also as a quick footnote. I want to be as um, fair as I can and say this, that Catholic terrorism was unacceptable and the Catholic Church could have excommunicated McGuinness, Adams, McLaughlin and Kelly very infamous leaders in Northern Ireland, but chose not to. They allowed McGuinness, the most notorious Catholic terrorist politician, probably since Al Capone in Chicago, to just go free. They could have uh, excommunicated him. They could have come out and said, we refute and we are revolted by such people's uh, murders, kneecapping, so on and so forth, but they didn't. And some Protestant leaders were also fighting with the UVF, and they were going around killing just ordinary Catholic men and women. That too is an abomination. That's why I am not a Protestant. I'm a Bible-believing Christian, and I will, when needed, speak against uh, Protestantism and Catholicism. But let's not get beyond ourselves. Let's not, let's not kid ourselves. The Catholic Church, the most powerful church in the world, this very ostentatious system, gave McGuinness, Adams, McLaughlin, Kelly, and all of the other infamous Sinn Féin leaders, political cover. And due to political incompetence, say from London, Dublin, Washington, the IRA Sinn Féin, this Catholic left-wing organization was allowed to continue the war right up until Tony Blair's premiership. And they turn around the Catholic Church and say they are non-partisan. What a joke. 27. 27, look, if you will, please, at verse 8. And it shall come to pass that the nation and kingdom which will not serve the same Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and that will not put their neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, that nation will I punish, saith the Lord, with a sword and with a famine and with a pestilence, until I have consumed them by his hand. You will need to submit. And if you think of North Korea, for example, or if you think of China, for example, especially North Korea, they have suffered at the hands of this family dynasty going back to the 1950s, this hardline communist 
sadist regime backed by China and Russia before that. And they've been told that the world is against them and like the Islamists do concerning America as the big Satan and Israel as the little Satan. They have brainwashed their people into believing that if it wasn't for their beloved leaders, they've had three uh, men rule over them since the 50s, like I say, uh, that they would fall. And therefore, their beloved leaders are trying to help them out. Most of those people in North Korea are in great poverty. Some are starving. Even cannibalism has been spoken about over the last two or three decades. Most of the people in North Korea are in darkness every night. I think they get maybe four hours of electricity each day if they are lucky, and yet their leaders live like kings. But the point is this. Those people in North Korea, those people in China, or these people here in Jeremiah's day, were told not only to submit to such people, excuse the flies, but to pray for such people. And Paul would tell us such in his Pauline epistles. Peter would make it very clear how we are to pray for the king. We are to pray for those in authority. In fact, Paul would tell us from Romans 13 how the ministers of the state, when they take the sword, being a capital punishment, do so because they are the Lord's ministers. And that's why capital punishment is scriptural. And yet some people say, oh, hold on a minute. Capital punishment is wicked. We should stand against it. And yet those same people, those same hypocrites, will argue for abortion, which is also uh, implemented by the state. You can't have it both ways. You can't be against capital punishment and for abortion. Either you are pro-both or you're against both. But you can't pick one over the other. And if you do so, you are going to be inconsistent. And it shall come to pass that the nation and kingdom which will not serve the same Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Now, doctrinally, this will be aimed at the Jews, and not only the Jews, but surrounding districts, surrounding capitals, surrounding peoples, and that will not put their neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon like submission. That nation will I punish, saith the Lord, with the sword and with the famine and with the pestilence, until I have consumed them by his hand. If you look at World War II for a few moments, you see the Third Reich marching into Europe, or you see the Japanese invading into parts of China, and you think about Eric Liddell, who suffered in a Chinese concentration camp, a very brave man, incidentally, who decided to take the place of a sick, pregnant woman, and he would die at the hands of his Japanese tormentors. He would have prayed for such people, and those in North Korea are praying for their leaders. Those in China are praying for their leaders. And yet, why is it that those of us in the West, which live very comfortably, can enjoy doing things such as this, making videos, going onto the streets to preach, which I will do once I finish filming, very rarely, if ever, pray for our leaders. Why aren't you doing it every day? So the Lord says to probably the Son and the Holy Spirit that he wants to uh, discipline his people. 
the Jews. He wants to punish his people because of their wickedness. And vicariously, he would do the same to all of the nations and has done for over 2,000, make it 3,000, make it 4,000 years. 29, 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. So God loved Israel even during her time in bondage. At her worst possible state, he still had thoughts of peace and not of evil. Go to Romans chapter 5. Everything that happens in this world happens for a purpose. In other words, nothing happens just by chance. And that's not some Calvinist view. That's a scriptural view. Romans chapter 5. Look at verse 6, please. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Do you see yourself as an ungodly person? Do you see yourself as desperately wicked? Christ would say, why callest thou me good? None is good but one that is God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Man at his best state is altogether vanity. For when we were yet without strength, like before we were even born, in due time, 30 AD, Christ being Messiah died for the ungodly, the Lamb of God that taketh away once and for all the sin of the world. But go back to what I said at the beginning of this message. Most people, especially in the UK, don't see themselves as wicked. And that's why I made the case during part one that Britain's contribution to heaven, I believe, will come from the innocents, children, those that were perhaps retarded, those that were pre the age of accountability, that died maybe through abortion or through an incident or what have you, and they will make up heaven in mass numbers. Look at verse 8, please. But God commended this love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Almighty God commendeth, demonstrated his love for us. The world, and we call that provision, but you have to appropriate it. You have to receive it. In that while we were yet sinners, dead in our sins, Christ died for us. So you either trust a saviour to save you, or you trust yourself to save you. Go back to Jeremiah 29, please. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. But at the same time, the Lord has to be consistent. At the same time, the Lord is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all, and I mean all, should come to repentance. He won't, therefore, just automatically wave people into heaven. He has a standard that he will use to judge the world. Look at verse 13 from Jeremiah 29, please. And ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Again, doctrinally aimed at the Jews living during dark times, dark days, and we can take such a verse and apply it to anyone, anywhere, at any time. If you search for the Lord, if you seek him out, and if you do so with all of your heart, 
you will find them. I think it's fair to say <clears throat> that for a good number of people, they start off with the Lord, or they start off thinking that perhaps they are all right with him, that they are somehow in fellowship with him, and then they hit some turbulence, and they just fall away. They just collapse. They just disappear. And I have known many people that have started out with the Lord that would do street work that don't do street work anymore. I'm not saying they're not saved, but when it comes to service, they are a failure. One more time and I'll move on. And ye shall seek me and find me. That's good news. When ye shall search for me with all your heart. You need to humble yourself. You need to get on your knees, if necessary, and believe on the Lord our God. Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah chapter 30. Excuse the flies. Look at verse 3, please. For lo, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah, saith the Lord. And I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. It's their land. And that's why I fail many times to understand why so many people, Islamic, uh, Protestant, Catholic, secular people, speak against the land, make such a commotion against the land. If you don't believe that Almighty God gave the land to the Jews, therefore you are, I guess by default, not only throwing this book out, the Holy Bible, but you are taking the Quran and replacing the authority of the scripture with the Quran. And I'll discuss that more shortly. For lo, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people, Israel and Judah, saith the Lord, my people, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they shall possess it. So they go into captivity. They are told to submit to Nebuchadnezzar, this wicked Gentile king, far worse than Hitler and Stalin and other tyrants from the 20th century. They are told to submit to such, and yet at a time of the Lord's choosing, like after 70 years, he will start to call them out of Iraq. When Nebuchadnezzar arrived in uh, Israel, his first... Uh, group of people to round up with the middle class because they rule most countries like in the UK and after he ruled after he rounded up the middle class and the false prophets and the princes and the kings he noticed the working class and he said uh, to his uh, captain whose name escapes me just leave them here they're no harm they can till the ground they can do what they need to do the Lord showed such people mercy the Lord was very kind to the average working class man or woman. And that's why it's probably fair to say that when it comes to people getting saved, most people, especially in the UK, that get saved are nearly always either lower middle class or lower working class or middle to upper working class. You don't find many middle class people. You don't find many upper middle class people. You don't find many upper class or lower upper class, or upper upper class people <laughs> that get saved. As somebody once said, Christianity is a religion for poor people. And there's much truth in that. I mean, look at Jesus Christ. He had nothing. He never owned his own property. He never um, 
had his own business. He didn't have a uh, degree. He didn't owe much at all. He worked with his stepfather and perhaps for his stepfather until he became of age. But if you think of a legacy, if you think of substance, if you think of something that the world would admire, he didn't leave anything behind. Of course, from our point of view and from our perspective, he gave us the world. He gave us his own blood. But my point is this, when it comes to assessing him, when it comes to looking at him as we would to, or as we would uh, when it comes to people today, we would say that Christ left nothing in the sense of materialistic bits and pieces. But you get the point that I'm trying to make this morning as I battle these flies. Jump down to verse 7, please. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Jacob's trouble, Daniel's 70th week. Concerning the Jews, not concerning the church as such. And I made the case during part one about Oscar Schindler, this very brave individual, and let's not play that down. And incidentally, Patrick has just written about Schindler for April's newsletter, uh, March's newsletter will be on Freemasonry, but next month's newsletter will be on Schindler. And Schindler was able to save over a thousand Jews, and he should be uh, commended for doing so. But some people may say, but what was the point of it? Most Jews don't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Most Jews today in, in Israel and around the world are either secular or agnostic. Why would he save so many people? Why would the Lord want him to do such? Well, it could just be that amongst those thousand plus people that Shinnah was able to save, some of those women may give birth or have given birth to the 144,000 that we read about from the book of Revelation, which goes back to my earlier point that nothing happens without a purpose. We can look around the world and just cry sometimes and just be absolutely aghast and depressed at what goes on, like the Islamic attack, which took place in London last week, and I'll come back to that shortly, and ask ourselves why the Lord allows such to happen. But behind such carnage, behind such suffering, it could be 1945, it could be London 2007, it could be France 2016, it could be North Korea today. There is a purpose why the Lord allows such to occur. But here, the day is great, so that none is like it. For the latter part of verse 7, but he shall be saved out of it. Now, during the tribulation, you have the 144,000, as I say, which are Jewish male virgins, literal virgins, and they are mobilized like the uh, apostles were mobilized, and they follow the Lamb, whithersoever he goest, and they preach to people in Israel, and quite possibly around the world, and they are raptured before the Antichrist can kill them. They escape his attack, if you will, whereas the two witnesses, probably Moses and Elijah, won't be so fortunate. Verse 8, For it shall come to pass, in that day saith the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off thy neck and will burst thy bonds and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king 
whom I will raise up unto them. Double application. Much of the Old Testament, if you didn't know, has what we call double application, which means simply this, from Ezekiel 28, for example, Christ is speaking to the king of Tyrus, or probably God the Father speaking to uh, the king of Tyrus. But behind the king of Tyrus is the devil. Or, if you think of the account in the Gospel of Matthew, for example, where Peter is trying to stop Christ from going to the cross, and Christ turns around, speaks to Peter, and he says to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. He is speaking to Peter, eye to eye, but behind Peter was the devil. Double application. But here, this is also in reference to, first and foremost, the Jews that were under the kosh of Nebuchadnezzar, but also under the kosh of the Antichrist. I will break his yoke from off thy neck, latter part of verse 8, and will burst thy bonds, and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him. Also in reference to the Gentiles, that will be found in the tribulation. Verse 9, And they shall serve the Lord their God, in the context Israel, and David their king, in the context Israel, whom I will raise up unto them. So two things. Number one, it is probably fair to say, especially when you think of the, uh, the Ezekiel passages that deal with the second coming and tribulation, excuse me, the tribulation and the millennial reign of Christ, that David is going to be resurrected. And David with his sons, I'm not sure which sons, is going to rule and reign on the new earth. And it will be uh, visible for all to see. But of course, David is a type of Christ. David was the king of Israel. Christ is the king of Israel. David had physical sons. Christ has spiritual sons. So here, David their king. Yes, in reference to David literally, but behind David, the son of David, being Jesus Christ, whom I raise up unto them. Look at verse 11, please. For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to save thee, though I make a full end of all nations whither I have scattered thee, yet will I not make a full end of thee, but I will correct thee in measure and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. He will punish all nations, and that was partly uh, noticed from those of us which are saved during last week's terrorist attack when a lone Islamic fanatic decided to hire a 4x4 and drive over Westminster Bridge, a very busy part of London, and he would mow down many people. In fact, one account, which I thought was pretty uh, terrifying to read about, was this poor Romanian woman on the bridge, and she saw this 4x4 driving towards her at speed, and she jumped out of its way in to the River Thames. I'll tell you something, the River Thames is A, a very cold river, B, a pretty unclean river, but it's also quite a drop. I mean, the bridge to the river is quite a distance. How she survived that, I don't know. But she had to make a split decision. Either she stayed on that bridge and allowed him to mow her down and probably kill her. As of now, there have been, I think, four, five fatalities. Or get out of his way. And she chose the latter. And like I say, she was able to survive by the grace of God. 
he continued to drive over Westminster Bridge. To the left is Parliament, to the right is Downing Street, and he did a sharp left, crashed into the gates, jumped out of his hired car, ran at this unarmed police officer with two knives, stabbed the police officer to death, two uh, plain clothes uh, special branch officers that were uh, the defense secretary's bodyguards, challenged him, gave him a warning, most countries wouldn't do that, and he decided to run at them with these two knives, probably saying Allah Akbar, and they shot him dead. But he didn't die straight away. He collapsed on the ground, and police medics were running, scrambling, trying to give him CPR, trying to save him. Most countries wouldn't bother. Most countries would just make sure he was dead. But Britain, still very much a compassionate country, on the one hand, even though it continues to abort millions of babies and has done since 1967, wanted to save his life. And he was rushed to hospital and later died. Within moments of such an event taking place, the press and politicians were quick to appear before the cameras, and they were saying stuff like, we can't understand it. Why are we being attacked? Who was this man? Uh, we don't know if it's Islamic. And I knew straight away that it was Islamic. But the media, like they did with the uh, Lee Rigby incident, played it down, took us for fools. And these people are uh, puppets of the state, propaganda puppets. They know what's going on, but they won't tell you what is going on. And it wasn't long before uh, religious leaders came out holding hands, saying we are the world, and yet Christ would tell you that he didn't come to bring peace but a sword, not a physical sword, unlike Muhammad, but a spiritual sword. And you were told by scripture that if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. And I couldn't bear to watch it. I had to mute the sound. I couldn't stand it. So 30.11 for I am with thee, saith the Lord, like Emmanuel, God with us, to save thee. He will be called Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. That's good news. Nothing to be sneezed at. Though I make a full end of all nations, like the Gentile nations, with I have scattered thee. Britain lost her soul decades ago, and Britain has lost her mind now. To listen to these imbeciles, trying to explain how Islam, which means submission, incidentally, is somehow a peaceful religion, is a sick joke. In fact, I think even uh, Goebbels would uh, be scratching his head if he was to uh, be able to hear some of what British politicians and members of the press have been barking out in recent days. Yet will I not make a full end of thee. And people say, well, the church has replaced Israel permanently. That is a satanic lie. Israel has not been replaced permanently. But I will correct thee in measure. I will discipline you. I will send you into captivity. Some of you will die there, like you would do during the Second World War. But some of you, like in Jeremiah's day, like at the end of the Second World War, will come out of such captivity and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. 
So the Lord, as the landowner of the earth, has the right to do what he chooses to do. The owner of a hotel has the right to uh, receive a uh, guest or reject a guest. And this goes back to the Lord allowing Israel, especially pre this piece of scripture, like under Joshua's uh, rule to police uh, a specific way. Police themselves, which they would do, and also police the nations, which will take place during the millennium. Israel will be top dog. But at the moment, at the moment, Israel is very much in need of the Gentile nations, like America financially, like Germany militarily. A lot of the Gentile nations are pro-Israel, and Israel is pro the Gentile nations. Well, I should just clarify that and say this, that probably Britain, Germany, and America are Israel's closest allies. And why not? But when it comes to Israel's uh, calling, when it comes to the Lord uh, raising up Israel to be his people, like Deuteronomy 7, they were expected to be different than the Gentiles. They were expected to witness to the Gentiles. And like I said last time, most Jews don't open their mouths to the Gentiles. Most Jews don't say, do you know Jehovah? Do you love Jehovah? They are quite happy just to let the Gentiles do their own thing, which has to uh, break the question, do they even believe in hell? Now, of course, the Hasidic Jews believe in hell, but most liberals, most liberal Jews do not. But I'll tell you something, if I had any whiff that there would be a judgment after this life, I would want people to know about it. I would want my friends to know about it. And I'm not speaking from a uh, standpoint as a saved sinner of 15 years. I'm just speaking in general terms. But most Jews don't seem to open their mouths. They don't seem to really care about where people go when they die. 30.15 Why criest thou for thine affliction? Thy sorrow is incurable for the multitude of thine iniquity. Because thy sins were increased, I've done these things unto thee. Double application again. Why criest thou for thine affliction? There's a picture of a man in hell, weeping and wailing, like Luke 16, 19 to 31. Thy sorrow is incurable for the multitude of thine iniquity. You sin, and you sin, and you sin, and you don't repent, and you die in such a state, you will pay for your sins in hell. Going back to uh, Revelation 21, all liars, all thieves, all murderers, all this and all that will have their part in the lake of fire. You go to hell not because Christ didn't die for you, but you go to hell because you didn't want Christ to die for you. You wouldn't believe on him. Because thy sins were increased, I have done these things unto thee. So doctrinally, it's aimed at those living during the time of Jeremiah, but spiritually speaking and prophetically speaking, we can aim this at unsaved people in hell. Why am I here? People shouting and screaming and demanding attention. You see, most people will die as they lived lost. And I made a video some uh, weeks ago called uh, uh, Don't Go to Hell. And I did a review of an old uh, 1940s film starring uh, Paul Muni and Claude Rains, a couple of very well-known actors in their day, and it was almost a comedy. 
the way they were portraying hell, and people think that Satan is in uh, charge of hell. No, no, no. One day he will be an occupant of hell. He doesn't run hell. He will be an occupant of hell one day, and he will be there with you. It's like the hotel analogy one more time. Top floor, the penthouse, the nice part of the hotel. Then you've got the uh, floor below it and below it. And you're in the same building, and you can all hear each other, but you can't see each other. And that's what hell will be like. People shouting and screaming, and you'll hear it, but you won't be able to see it. Because according to uh, Isaiah 66 and Mark chapter 9, you become like a worm, like a red maggot. Still in uh, Jeremiah 30. Jeremiah 30, look at verse 21, please. And their nobles shall be of themselves, and their governor shall proceed from the midst of them. And I will cause him to draw near, and he shall approach unto me. For who is this? that engage his heart to approach unto me, saith the Lord. Go to Matthew chapter 2. The only way to understand the scripture is to compare scripture with scripture. And in Matthew chapter 2, cast your eye over verse uh, 5, please. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophets, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. In the UK, if you join the police force and you make it to the uh, level of inspector, you are called governor or gov for uh, an abbreviation. It means you are the boss. So when you think of governor or gov, you are thinking of someone in control, somebody who has authority. So from Jeremiah 30, 21, and their nobles shall be of themselves, and their governor, Jesus Christ, shall proceed from the midst of them. Deuteronomy 18, Christ didn't just arrive from nowhere. He didn't just arrive thanks to a flying object or a UFO. He was born amongst his own peers. He lived and eventually died amongst his own peers. He was able to understand and relate to what we go through as just everyday people, unlike someone like uh, Muhammad, who was just an ordinary sinner, not God and man, just flesh, if you will. He couldn't understand what it was like to be man and God, but Christ can. That's why we call him the God-man. And their governor shall proceed from the midst of them, tribe of Judah, and I will cause him to draw near, and he shall approach unto me. There's a picture of intimacy, like one mediator between uh, man and God, the man Christ Jesus. For who is this that engages heart to approach unto me, saith the Lord? There's no doubt about it, that if you take the time to examine the Lord Jesus Christ, and excuse these flies, I may have to move in a few moments before they eat me alive, <laughs> You can't help but notice that he was a very unusual man, a very different man, never sinned a day in his life, never failed his father a day in his life. And I think when the judgment takes place, Acts 17, uh, 30 and 31, 
The whole world will be judged by Christ's standard. Not only would he keep the law to perfection, I mean right down to the spirit of the law, but he never broke the law. And if you think of these wicked people that live like the devil, they will be judged so minutely. It's going to be just awful to see such people. But go back to what happened in London this past Wednesday. Four or five people dead. The assailant shot dead by the police. This police officer died. If those people died without Christ, if those people were not born again, they're all in the same place right now. Different compartments, of course. Go back to the hotel analogy one more time. But they are all in the same building. And they're in great pain and torment because they are sinners. We're all sinners. And that's why we say that Christ is a savior of the world. And that's why you need to believe on him. Trust in him. But if you are a Brit, I put it to you this morning that you don't want him, do you? You are quite happy to snub him and offer your good works in lieu of his righteousness. 24, the fierce anger of the Lord shall not return until he have done it and until he have performed the intents of his heart. In the latter days, you shall consider it. Double application once again. And yes, the Lord is angry here. The fierce anger of the Lord. He could have stopped Wednesday's incident. He could have stopped World War II. He could stop children being uh, abused 24-7. He could have stopped people uh, suffering and causing pain to one another. He could have stopped his son's death on the cross. But this goes back to the book of Genesis, how man is to have dominion over the earth. The Lord has given man the earth, and man has the privilege to govern the earth as he sees fit. Every so often, of course, the Lord will step in and intervene and clip people's wings. But most of the time, he sits back and allows man to do his own way, to show man that his own way stinks, that his own way doesn't always work. 31.1 At the same time, saith the Lord, will I be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. So for thousands of years, Jehovah has been gracious to the Jews and has allowed them to be called his people. He gave them two temples, both of which have long been destroyed. But here we are looking at end times, double application again. Verse 3, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. John chapter 6, you can't come to the Father, you can't come to me, you can't come to heaven unless the Father, unless I, unless heaven draw you unto me. And that's a favorite passage for the Calvinists to get their teeth into. And they mangle that piece of scripture like the Catholics do concerning eating the Lord's flesh and drinking his blood. But if you go to John chapter 12, it speaks about Christ being lifted up like the ascension and therefore drawing all men unto him. We read from Second uh, Corinthians how God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, 
we beseech you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to him. Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Now, I have been looking at this piece of scripture over the last few days, and I am very much aware that the pronoun is singular. Jehovah is speaking to Jeremiah, but when I look at verse 1 again, at the same time, saith the Lord, will I be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. I am minded that although this is aimed specifically at Jeremiah, it is also being aimed at the Jews in general. I have loved thee with an everlasting love, which means without end. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Starts with the prophets being sent day after day to the children of Israel to call them back into fellowship with Jehovah. And it ultimately finds its fulfillment in Jesus, the King of the Jews, the Messiah of Israel. But what would they say? We shall have this man to reign over us. We have one king, that being Caesar. Take such a passage from uh, Matthew 27 and apply it to the book of Revelation, like 18, verse 4, come out of her, my people. Jews, apostate Jews, be not partakers of her plagues. I would judge a son so forth. So you've got the Jews back in the days of Christ, they much affiliated to pagan Rome, being Caesar, compared to Jews in the tribulation, being very much affiliated to papal Rome, being the person of the Antichrist, of course. But it's still not too late. It wasn't late for the Jews to escape, going into captivity and dying in their sins and going straight to hell. Just because the Jews are the Lord's people, doesn't mean they automatically go to heaven when they die. And that's why I made the case last week that as awful as the Second World War was, and it's always very distressing when you watch movies like Schindler's List or you see documentaries online or you read accounts from those that survived such terrible events, that doesn't mean automatically that they go straight to heaven upon death. It's like people say this, such and such died this week, maybe McGuinness, for example, and he is in a better place now. How do you know that? What are you basing that on? How do you know that McGuinness is in a better place now? In fact, there was a statement made when McGuinness died by a guy called Norman Tebbett, a very powerful man in his day, and he served in uh, Mrs. Thatcher's government, and he said uh, that he hoped there was a place in hell reserved for McGuinness, and he hoped that such a place would be there for all of eternity. And you say, why would he say that about McGuinness? Well, back in the 1980s, the IRA wanted to kill the British government. The war was a 40-year war, if you know Northern Ireland politics. And during the early 80s, 84, I think it was to memory, the Toy Party annual conference was taking place in Brighton. And uh, the IRA were able to put a bomb or two in this hotel, it blew, and a couple of floors just collapsed. Many people were injured, and Norman Tebbett's wife was crippled as a result, almost died. And Mrs. Thatcher's uh, security detail rushed her from uh, her hotel to a safe place like they did with Mrs. May last week from Parliament to Downing Street. And apparently, according to Mrs. Thatcher's aide, 
who gave an interview a couple of years ago, <coughs> her and Mrs. Thatcher prayed, got on their knees, and said the Lord's Prayer. They were so shaken up with this bomb going off, which nearly killed the entire government. But as far as Tebbets and his wife were concerned, she almost died. So he was very angry with uh, McGuinness's role in that incident, which is understandable. In fact, another quick footnote concerning Mrs. Thatcher. Towards the end of her life, according to one press report that I read, she was reading her Bible very carefully and very regularly, which, if so, is good news. Maybe she got saved, I don't know. But Tebbit was very quick to judge McGuinness. He was very quick to say that he hoped there was a place in hell reserved for Mr. McGuinness. And here's the thing. <clears throat> According to Romans chapter 2, when someone, especially an unsaved person, is able to judge someone else, like their conduct, or where they are now, once they die, if they can make a judgment on someone else's eternal abode, they just judge themselves. And Almighty God would judge such a person for doing that. And he would say to someone like Mr. Tebbit, so you were able to make a judgment on McGuinness's eternal abode? You weren't saved yourself, and I don't, I guess, I don't assume that Mr. Tebbit is saved, and therefore I would judge you. And that's why you've got to be so careful when it comes to judging someone. If you're saved, you're born again, that's a different thing altogether. We have the scripture, but if you're not saved, if you're not born again, and you are judging someone else, it's eternal abode. It's a, very, uh, it's a very dangerous thing to do, because by doing that, you've just judged yourself. You've been able to pass judgment on someone else, which means you could have judged yourself. Look at 31.6, please. For there shall be a day that the watchman upon the Mount Ephraim shall cry, Arise ye, let us go up to Zion, unto the Lord our God. If you are born again, if you are premillennial, especially premillennial, you are by default, whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not, a Zionist. You should be pro the Jews in Israel, and eventually you'll be in Mount Zion. So it's somewhat bizarre when I hear people sometimes offering themselves as being saved, and perhaps are saved, and yet turning around and attacking Israel, or making fun of Zionism, or coming out with anti-Semitic remarks about the Jews' right to the land. Button it. If you don't believe this book's accounts of Israel's right to the land, then I put it to you this way. You've obviously decided to ditch the Bible for the Quran, which is what is happening in Britain today. Most people in Britain, most people in the press, most politicians are closet Muslims. They are very proud, very pro-Islam. I don't quite know why, because if those people got into authority, the first crowd that they would round up would be the atheists. Most journalists in the UK are atheists. Most journalists in the UK are either homosexual or lesbian. Most journalists in the UK are not religious people. You may have some Catholic, some Protestant, but most are secular. And like I say, Islam means submission. So the first thing they would do, and if you don't believe me, just look at Syria or Somalia or even Egypt before uh, President Sisi arrived and dealt with the Islamic Brotherhood. Just look at what they would do. Look at what they have done to non-Muslims or liberal Muslims, apostate Muslims, as they would refer to such. It's fair to say that 
militant, uh, militant Islam or religious Islam, please excuse the flies, their first enemy, their first uh, group of people that they would want to deal with are their own people. And then they will turn to non-Muslims. Look at verse 11, please, from 31. For the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand of him that was stronger than he. Double application again. In the context, it's aimed at Nebuchadnezzar. In the context, it's aimed at someone like Herod, for example, or Caiaphas. The Jews would say to Christ that they were free. They weren't in bondage to anyone. But that wasn't the whole story because they were in bondage to their uh, pagan rulers. They were in bondage to Rome. They had lived under Roman occupation for decades, if not a century or two. So here, the Lord hath ransomed Jacob, being Israel. Sorry, the Lord has uh, redeemed Jacob, excuse me, being Israel, and ransomed him from the hand of him that was stronger than he. So Nebuchadnezzar, first and foremost, but behind Nebuchadnezzar, Satan. Before you are a son of the Savior, you are a son of Satan. There's no way around it. And that's why I just cringe when I watch these apostates flocking out of their ivory towers, their palaces, and speaking to the press about Islam being this religion of peace and how they can't understand why uh, so many people are doing their jihad, which means struggle, like McGuinness would do in Northern Ireland. That was his Catholic jihad, you understand. And we know, as say people, what is going on. This is a spiritual war. But I've also been very uh, conscious of the fact that soon after Wednesday's incidents, there were certain members of the uh, far right, shall we say, that were speaking about what took place. Very angry and justifiably, of course. But those people are not say people. They can't uh, address this with the scripture. And they can't offer a solution without the scripture. And it's like this, I suppose. If you were to uh, speak to a Muslim, and I have done many times, and if you were to try and uh, witness to a Muslim and use apologetics to show a Muslim why Christ is the only hope for the world, without offering Jesus Christ in lieu of Muhammad, what else could you offer a Muslim? You see, man was made to worship Almighty God. And that's why most of the world are very religious. Now, it's true most of the world have the wrong kind of religion, but most of the world are religious. Most of the world want to worship someone or something. So, without offering Christ, which we can do as Bible believers, I think it's somewhat sad when I listen to members of the far right, mostly uh, angry disgruntled and disillusioned people trying to approach us in a physical way, like let's all march or let's shut down mosques or do this or that. That's not the whole, that's not the point. That's not the whole story either. Most Muslims, most Muslims in the UK, I'm happy to say, are peaceful. Most Muslims around the world are peaceful. But a very powerful, tiny minority are uh, dangerous and will do what they can to fight for Muhammad and Allah. 17, and there is hope in thine end, saith the Lord, that thy children shall come again to their own border, 
1948, of course, and 1948, the Jews are back in Israel, praise the Lord, and there was a guy called Wingate, a British major general from memory who was a Plymouth Brethren man, and he had a great love for Israel, and part of his uh, good pleasure at the end of World War II, say 46, 47, leading up to 48, was to train Israel up to defend themselves. Britain knew that once uh, she pulled out of Israel, 48, that the uh, Islamic nations would try and march on Israel, especially uh, Jerusalem. And Wingate, this ace general, this uh, great military man, may have been saved, I don't know, uh, was able to train up Israel's first generation of generals and colonels and just general uh, military men to defend themselves. And the, the Islamists tried to invade 48 and were repelled. They tried again in 67 and were repelled. They tried again 74, 75 and were repelled. Saddam would try during the first Gulf War and was repelled and he would try during the second Gulf War and was repelled. But Israel's biggest concern at present would be Tehran, Iran. I think it's fair to say that Israel is very concerned that if Iran gets a nuclear bomb, that she will attempt to use it. In fact, go back to last week's incident in London. There were uh, screenshots produced of people posting comments on Al Jazeera and France 24 and some other non-British news channels that were just rejoicing at what took place. People saying how they were over the moon to see their Islamic brother, quote-unquote, just killing people, mowing people down, killing an unarmed police officer. I mean, such a brave man. At least give the guy a chance to defend himself. This goes back to the need, I think, for British police to be armed all over the UK. I think it comes down to this, that if you're gonna put police at particular spots in the UK, like Parliament or Downing Street or the Palace, at least give them arms to defend themselves and the public. But that's probably another subject for another day. Uh, also look at verse 22, please, from uh, chapter 31. How long wilt thou go about, O the backsliding daughter, for the Lord hath created a new thing in the earth, a woman shall compass a man. Backsliding daughter, Israel, God's elect nation, a perpetual backslider, which, yes, can happen today for a saved man or woman. The Corinthians were very carnal and were put to death as a result of being such. Ananias and Sapphira were very carnal. In fact, even John Mark, one of uh, Paul and Barnabas's uh, companions was a backslider, along with Demas. How long wilt thou go about, O thou backsliding daughter? For the Lord hath created a new thing in the earth. A woman shall compass a man. A prophecy, of course, of the virgin birth. And yet this material, which I'm reading this morning, and trying to do so without the flies uh, distracting me, was probably ignored by most of Jeremiah's peers. They were too busy doing religion. They were too busy worshipping the Lord their own way. 
the wrong, ki- uh, the wrong type and the wrong kind of religion. You have to worship God in spirit and in truth. But they weren't interested in doing that. We shall have this man to reign over us. We have one king being Caesar. 30 AD, tribulation, Revelation 18, get out of her, my people, before it's too late. 31, 31. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not the church, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husbandman husbandman unto them, saith the Lord. But But this should be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. Once again, double application. Partly pictured during the new covenant. And when I finish Jeremiah, I will quickly jump over to Hebrews to give you the cross reference. But ultimately, prophetically speaking, this will be fulfilled during the millennium. The days come, 31 saith the Lord, that I and I alone will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers, like uh, Exodus chapter 20, in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out by the land of Egypt. Why? Which my covenant they break. They broke his covenant. They broke it time after time. And therefore it became obsolete. Christ will say that he came to fulfill the law. He came to complete the law. Although I was an husbandman unto them, a husband unto them, saith the Lord, but this shall be the covenant, a new agreement, a new testament, that I will make with the house of Israel, not the church. After those days, end of church age, going into the tribulation, and ultimately into the millennium, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it, in their hearts. At present, their hearts are blinded, their minds are blinded, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and their hearts are desperately wicked. And will be their God, and they shall be my people. So there is still hope for Israel, in spite of everything that they have said and done, going right back to their conception, there is still hope for Israel. And that's why Christians, if they are premillennial, are Zionists and have to speak up for Israel, pray for Israel, intercede for Israel, and at the same time, preach to Israel, call on Jews to repent, because they can't be saved without Jesus. And they shall teach no more, every man his neighbor, 34, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the, uh, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Christ died on the cross, and he would say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, part in reference to the Roman soldiers, also part in reference to the Jews. Paul speaks about, had they known that they were put in their uh, prince of peace to death, they wouldn't have done it. Peter would also say that it was necessary to save themselves from this un, 
toward generation. So in spite of everything, going back to Israel's conception, there is still hope for the children of Israel. 35, thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for a light by day, and the ordinances of the moon and the stars for light by night, which divided the sea, when the waves thereof roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus saith the Lord, Jehovah, which giveth the sun for light by day, and the ordinances of the moon and the stars for light by night, still very much relevant for today. We're not yet in complete darkness. The moon still shines or reflects the sun's light. Which divided the sea when the waves thereof roar. Christ will walk on the water. Moses would divide the sea, of course. The Lord of hosts is his name. Hosts being army. God is a man of war. If those ordinances depart from before me, impossible, but if those ordinances depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. That's the only reason that people like Schindler and others during World War II were able to do what they did because God made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In fact, the promise he made to Abraham took place when he was asleep, picturing the fact that Abraham had no part in that covenant. Like grace, I gave you the scripture from Romans chapter 5, that whilst we were yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. God has commended his love toward us, so on and so forth, which points back to the fact that we can't save ourselves. Our uh, atonement has been provided for, the land of Israel was given to the Jews. Yes, it was uh, also uh, necessary for the Jews to go in and take the land, and some took more land than others, hence why over in the book of Judges it speaks about Judah being unable to drive out the enemies due to having uh, iron uh, equipment, iron chariots. In fact, that was put to me at Speaker's Corner last summer, and... Every so often I think about that conversation at Speaker's Corner, and I was asked by an Islamic uh, convertee, a man who had converted to Islam, to explain that to me. And I thought at the time, reading it, uh, you know, off the top of my head, that it was in reference to Jehovah. But later on, I thought to myself, no, I was wrong. It wasn't Jehovah that couldn't drive them out. It was Judah that couldn't drive them out because there was sin in the camp of Israel. But sometimes when you get caught up in the heat of the moment, you perhaps say something you shouldn't, or you don't say as much as you should, or you say something incorrectly. But don't worry, it goes back to what I said over the last few videos, that even if you have a bad witness, even if you make a mistake, the Lord can still use a bad witness. He can still tweak a bad witness. He can take something which isn't good and perfect it. It's not down to us. We are just the messengers. We're just the postmen, if you will. What you do with the mail that we give you is up to yourselves, of course. 37, thus saith the Lord, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel. 
all that they have done, saith the Lord. Of course, you can't measure heaven from a physical standpoint. You can't measure the foundations of the earth. This is simply stated to prove an obvious point that you can't do anything. The Jews couldn't do anything when it came to cutting themselves off permanently from Jehovah's love. His love for Israel is supernatural, of course, unimaginable from our standpoint, going back to the church. Christ loves the church. The church is Christ's wife. Israel is Jehovah's wife. We don't really understand it. We have some comprehension towards the Lord's love for Israel and for the church, but we don't really understand it. For that they have done, saith the Lord. In spite of all that they have done, 35, 36, 37 makes it crystal clear that it will never, it will never result in them being cast off. But you see, here's the problem. Many people want to do religion in place of relationship. I knew a guy some years ago who had been an awful gambler and it got out of control and part of his uh, demise was that he had this particular car which he worshipped, just adored. He would wash it every day, he would uh, dry it every day, he would polish it every day, even the wheel caps. And he told us that it got to a stage where he was obsessed with this car. And at the time he was a lapsed Catholic and he was playing the tables all around London, somewhat of a ladies' man as well. And he had a wife and children back in his native country. And it got to the stage where he couldn't go on like it anymore. His conscience was destroying him. And he decided to do, to do something very extreme. <laughs> I've never forgotten this. He decided to drive his car to, I think, Epping Forest, contact a local builder with a JCB, and he asked this builder with a JCB to meet him at Epping Forest, I think it was Epping Forest, or maybe Sherwood Forest, I can't remember which, which forest it was, but it doesn't matter. And he said, I want you to meet me at such and such a place on such and such a time, so on and so forth, to uh, do me a service. And this guy probably thought to himself, you know, what's going on here? Is this some kind of uh, scam or something illegal? It wasn't, of course, but it was something of an extreme thing to do. And he arrived at this forest, met this man with a JCB digger, paid him whatever he paid him, and said to him, dig a hole and bury my car in the hole. And this guy probably scratched his head, <laughs> thinking to himself, what is this guy you know, talking about? He's a lunatic. But nevertheless, he was paid to do just that, and he dug a hole and buried this man's car in the hole, and then covered up the hole, and these two departed. And I've often thought to myself, I wonder if that man went back, the JCB digger, and dug up that man's car and perhaps sold it for scrap. I wouldn't be surprised. But this chap that we knew at the time, a very devout Catholic, recalling an account before he uh, was a devout Catholic, he was a lapsed Catholic when he had the car buried, decided to do religion, decided to go to church seven days a week, decided to serve mass, decided to clean the church, to be part of their cleaning rota. These churches have what they call cleaning rotors. It's a great privilege to clean their church, like polish, hoover, do the sort of thing that priests are not 
inclined to do. Priests would delegate the responsibility to clean their churches to parishioners. And this man decided to do religion in place of relationship. And I spoke to him at length. And I said to him, but Christ has died for our sins. He's died for your sins. And I tried to explain it to him, but to no avail. He wanted to do religion in place of relationship. And as a result, is an unsaved man, even to this present day. Uh, 3117. Uh, 3117. In fact, look at verse 16 to get the context straight. Please excuse me as I get my footing right here. Now, when I delivered the evidence of the purchase unto Baruch, the son of Neriah, I prayed unto the Lord, saying, this is Jeremiah speaking, incidentally, Our Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Thou showest loving kindness unto thousands, and recompensest the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great, the mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name. Great in counsel, and mighty in work, for thine, for thine eyes are open upon all the ways of the sons of men, to give everyone according to his ways, and according to the fruit of his doings. The great, the mighty God, the Lord of hosts, is his name. The mighty God in Hebrew means El Gabor, El Gabor, like Elohim. And over, over in uh, Isaiah chapter 9, Christ is referred to as the great God, the everlasting Father. So here, the great God, the mighty God, in the context being Jehovah, is also in reference to being Jesus. Jesus is Jehovah, Jehovah is Jesus. But Jesus isn't God the Father, you understand, and God the Father isn't Jesus. Jesus is God the Son, and God the Father is God the Father. And don't forget God the Holy Spirit as well, of course. The great, the mighty God, El Gabor, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, is his name. So a great scripture here for the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. 27, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? No, Lord. You could have stopped Wednesday's incident. You could have stopped the troubles in Northern Ireland, which took place over a 40-year period. You could have stopped the deaths, the murders of scores of people. But you didn't because you promised us back in uh, the book of Genesis how man would have dominion over all of the earth. You gave man free will. You allowed man to do his own thing, to run his own course, to be the captain of his ship. And every so often, people would turn to you, Lord, believe on you, get saved, and would be called out of that world system. And that's why I go back to McGuinness's funeral one more time, to see Protestants there. And one of the former first ministers, a guy called uh, Robinson, offering himself as a born-again Christian att uh, attending such a place, was such an abomination. But you see, it goes back to compromise. It goes back to Wednesday's incident. Politicians and the press, propaganda, puppets, incapable, unwilling, failing to speak out and call a spade a spade. They want power, you see. 
And that's why it was also very interesting to see Ian Paisley get into bed in a spiritual sense with Martin McGuinness and become quite close. In fact, I seem to recall when uh, Paisley died, McGuinness went to his funeral. I would say this as a quick footnote to funerals, that if you know someone who isn't saved, I'm sure most of you do, when that person dies, don't go to their mass if they are Catholic, or don't go to a church service if they died unsaved, because it is A, a waste of time, and B, an abomination. But why not just go to the graveside? Why not just spend a few moments speaking before the coffin goes into the ground? That's what I would do. Listen, you couldn't pay me. You couldn't pay me to go to a Catholic requiem mass of anyone, anywhere at any time. And I include my own family when I say that. What I would do, if it was necessary, would be to bypass the church service, but go to the graveside and say a few words there. I think had Northern Ireland's Protestant leaders done that, okay, fine. But again, going back to my earlier comments, one of the reasons why I don't call myself a Protestant is because of what we have seen in Northern Ireland over the last 40 years. Catholics killing Protestants and Protestants killing Catholics. For the most part, neither are saved. For the most part, neither groups are born again. Very religious, very political, but not born again. And that's why, again, I don't call myself a Protestant. I'm a King James Bible-believing Christian. That's all there is to it. It's about a relationship, not a religion. Is there anything too hard for me? Absolutely not, dear Lord. But again, we know you have given us free will, and we know that all things work out together for good to those that love God, to those which are the called according to his purpose. Uh, Romans 8, 28. 30. For the children of Israel and the children of Judah have only done evil before me from their youth. For the children of Israel have provoked me to anger with the work of the hand, saith the Lord. There's something about mankind. There's something about God's elect nation. There's something about the church. There's something about you. And there's something about me which is completely at enmity with Almighty God. And of course, we know what it is. It is original sin. We are no good, never have been, and never will be. And that's why sometimes we need a reality check when it comes to our conduct, when it comes to our relationship with Almighty God. We are still in Jeremiah 32. And yes, I have had to change locations to avoid being eaten alive. 33, please. And they have turned unto me the back and not the face. Though I taught them rising up early and teaching them, yet they have not hearkened to receive instruction. Free will, first of all. Secondly, in reference to Jeremiah and his generation, but prophetically speaking, concerning Jesus and his generation. You think of John 666, many, not some, but many, of his disciples walked with him no more. Look at 34, please. But they set the abominations in the house, which is called by my name, to defile it. But they set their abominations in the house, which is called by my name, to defile it. John chapter 2, Jesus goes into the temple with a whip of some kind, and he drives them all out. Why? Because they're making merchandise off the backs of ordinary people. They were selling indulgences 
like the Catholics have been doing for centuries, trying to make money off the Lord's goodness, kindness, and above all, his free offer of everlasting life. You can't buy salvation, and yet people continue to flock to such places. 35, but they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire unto Moloch, which I commanded them not, neither came it into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. They were sacrificing to Moloch, this our God. They were sacrificing their sons and their daughters, which still goes on. If you go to uh, San Francisco, you have a place called Bohemian Grove, where the, the good and the great, so-called, uh, flock to pay homage to Moloch. In fact, going back to McGuinness's funeral one more time, it was interesting to see Bill Clinton there, this cavalier American president, and yet, interestingly enough, no British Prime Minister was there. Not even Tony Blair, who shares the same religion as McGuinness. Which I commanded them not, neither came it into my mind. So they did this off their own backs. And again, going back to Revelation 21, we'll pay for such during the second death, that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. 37. Behold, I will gather them out of all countries whither I have driven them in mine anger and in my fury and in great wrath. And I will bring them again unto this place and will cause them to dwell safely and they shall be my people and I will be their gods and I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and of their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. Verse 39, I will give them one heart, picture the new birth, and one way. I am the way, the truth, and the life, that they may fear me forever. Not just reverential fear, but a real fear, because you are in fellowship with an everlasting creature, so powerful that he can do whatever he wants to do. And of the children after them, going back to Acts chapter 2, uh, repent for the omission of sins, the Lord our God, and all that so far off has offered this free gift to you all. Slight paraphrase from Acts 2.38, Acts 2.39, Acts 2.40. And I'll make an everlasting covenant with them, the Jews, not the church, that I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. Also a good picture there for eternal security. So this new covenant was offered to the Jews, and it's partly pictured in Acts chapter 2. Also Hebrews picks us up, which if I get time, I will also read. And it goes into the millennium. Uh, 33, 33, 4, please. For thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the houses of this city and concerning the houses of the kings of Judah, which are thrown down by the mounts and by the sword. They come to fight with the Chaldeans, but it is to fill them with the dead bodies of men, whom I have slain in mine anger and in my fury. 
and for all whose wickedness I've hid my faces from this city. Revelation 19 speaks about Christ coming back on a white horse with a sword, literal horse, literal sword, and he just puts his enemies to death with a sword. At the same time, that sword is mentioned over in uh, the Gospel of John, how Christ's word will be used to judge every man at the end of time. But here, dead bodies of men whom I have slain, this is Jehovah speaking, why, in mine anger and in my fury, and for all whose wickedness I've hid my face from this city. So it's like this. And now the flies are returning with a vengeance. So I will try and wrap this message up. Your enemy isn't the devil necessarily, isn't your fellow man necessarily, but your enemy, if you're not saved, is Jehovah. Seven. And I will cause the captivity of Judah and the captivity of Israel to return and will build it as at the first. So yes, for Jeremiah's generation, it was pretty bleak. It was pretty uh, depressing. But what else could Jehovah do? They wouldn't worship him. They wouldn't listen to his prophets. They would also argue with uh, Samuel to give them a king to rule over them. And it speaks about Samuel being greatly distressed over the Jews' Uh, and their wish to have a king to all over them, not Jehovah. Look at verse 11, please. The voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voice of them that shall say, Praise the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for his mercy endureth forever. And of them that shall bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord, for I will cause to return the captivity of the land as at the first, saith the Lord. The church is involved in a future temple. The third temple and final temple goes up in Revelation chapter 11. And if I understand this correctly, it will go into the thousand-year reign of Christ. We have buildings in the UK, we have cathedrals in the UK, which are over a thousand years old. I seem to recall a Canterbury Cathedral being a thousand years old. So it is possible to build a property and for it to remain for many, many years. Fifteen in those days, and at that time, will I cause a branch of righteousness to grow up unto David. And he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. So David being the king, but behind the king being the Messiah. It wasn't just going to be David literally doing it on his own. The greats will be resurrected and they will return. And like I say, Christ will be ruling alongside them, or they will be ruling alongside Christ as well. It's very difficult to comprehend David and some of his sons sitting on literal thrones, and Christ also sitting on a throne with his sons. Spiritually being the church, but also the Jews having a major role in the new earth, whereas the new Jerusalem is going to be for the body of Christ. Twenty... In fact, look at verse 19, please. And the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, If you can break my covenants of the day and my covenants of the night, and that there should not be day and night in their season, then may also my covenants be broken with David my servant, that he should not have a son to reign upon his throne, and with the Levites, the priests, my ministers. So for today, for those of us which are saved, we are spiritual priests, but here you've got to mention here 
or a reference here to Levites, which will be very active during the millennium, like I say, and they will be very busy during the millennial temple. But the covenant that has been made cannot be broken, going back to the day and the night, and the inference, once again, is as clear as crystal that whatever you think you can or cannot do to alter the Lord's plans will be absolutely uh, futile. Uh, 36.3, it may be that the house of Judah will hear of the evil which I propose to do unto them, that they may return every man from his evil way, that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. You would have thought so, wouldn't you? You would have thought during World War II, when the Jews were uh, incarcerated from 39 to 45, that many would have uh, turned to Jehovah, and I'm sure many did, but most didn't. In fact, the first wave of Jews that went back into Israel in 48 were secular. They weren't religious Jews, they were secular Jews. That's why they were so close to Russia. Because Russia was, at the time, this atheist, communist country, and Stalin wanted to uh, work with the Jews going back into Israel to, I guess, have a barrier between himself and capitalist West, the capitalist America, the capitalist Britain, and also Christian Britain at the time, and Christian America at the time. It may be that the house of Judah were here, or the evil which I propose to do unto them, that they may return every man from his evil way, that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. It goes back to, on the one hand, people wanting to do their own thing, people not thinking they are wicked, and thinking they can get away with what they do. At the same time, it also goes back to people having to accept they have a problem. I knew a guy many years ago who was an awful alcoholic, and he'd been a drinker for probably three decades, maybe more, and at the time he was living with a woman who had once been his uh, lady friend, excuse her flies, but I've started so I must finish. <laughs> and he was drinking at that time and he got into an argument with her like he would do on regular occasions. And it got so bad that according to the lady who told me this account some years afterwards, he tried to kill her. He got on top of her and at a uh, point earlier in their relationship, she was the love of his life, and because he was drunk, because he was intoxicated, he tried to kill her. He tried to strangle her, and her grown son came running out of his room, please excuse the flies, and had to drag him off her. It took him 35, 40 years to accept he had a problem, and eventually he went to seek out help, professional help for his drinking problem. But many people don't want to accept they have a problem. Like flies buzzing all around me, but I've almost finished, so I must continue. At the same time, this shows me that the Lord is very patient, he's long-suffering, and he will allow people to do their own thing, he will allow people to burn out. So when people arrive at the judgment, they can't say, why am I here, Lord? Because he'll, you know, he will say to them, well, I gave you free will, I gave you a conscience, but you wouldn't listen to me like that chap I've just spoken about. It took him three, four decades, almost killing his former lady friend, his former uh, girlfriend, to seek help, to turn 
and get help for his drinking problem. But for most people, they don't turn. In fact, last week's incident in London, I'd like to think some of the people that I spoke to in London from June last year and October last year, and we gave out thousands of tracks, the banner was seen by tens of thousands. I'd like to think some of those people, when they watched the news that night, thought about what we had told them back in June and back in October. But if I know British people, and if I can remember what happened back in 7-7, most Brits didn't go to church, most Brits didn't get on their knees, there was no day of prayer after 7-7 back in 2005. Most Brits, unlike Americans from 9-11, went to the local pub and got drunk, whereas most Americans from 9-11, uh, went back to church and uh, tried to get into fellowship with the Lord. America is a very religious country, whereas Britain is a very secular country. 44-4, 44-4, and yes, I've had to switch locations one more time, so bear with me, please. Habit, I sent unto you all my servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, saying, oh, do not this abominable thing that I hate. Don't sin. Don't sin, because if you do, there are consequences. Just because you are saved doesn't mean you are sinless or sin-free. John will tell you in his epistle that if we say we haven't sinned, we make him a liar. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 44.13 For I will punish them that dwell in the land of Egypt, as I punished Jerusalem by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. The Lord is very consistent. He will not only punish his own people, but he will punish those that punish his own people. So that none of the remnants of Judah which are gone into the land of Egypt to sojourn there shall escape or remain, that they should return into the land of Judah to the which they have a desire to return to dwell there, for none shall escape but shall, but none shall return but such as shall escape, like those that left Egypt. Back in the days of Moses, it was imperative to not only get them out, but to keep them out. 15. Then all the men which knew that their wives had burned incense unto other gods, and all the women that stood by, a great multitude, even all the people that dwelt in the land of Egypt in Pathros, answered Jeremiah, saying, As for the word that thou hast spoken unto us, in the name of the Lord, we will not hearken unto thee. Jeremiah, who do you think you are? We want to worship Mary. We want to go to Catholic churches. We want to worship the moon god. We want to speak well of Islam. We want to be Freemasons. We want to be members of the Illuminati. How dare you tell us, Jeremiah, what to do? 17. But we will certainly do whatsoever thing goeth forth out of our mouth, to burn incense unto the Queen of Heaven, and to pour out drink offerings unto her, as we have done, we and our fathers, our kings and our princes, in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. For then had we plenty of victuals, and were well, and saw no evil. No shame, no shame whatsoever for public idolatry. And here the Jews, at their darkest day, were unrepentant, wouldn't listen to Jeremiah, they knew better, and had the audacity to turn around 
and tell Jeremiah how things were good during their days of worshipping the Queen of Heaven. And again, double application. The apostate Jews were guilty of this, and now the Catholic Church are also guilty of such. Now go to chapter 50, please. Chapter 50. Look at verse 7, if you will. All that found them have devoured them. And the adversary said, We offend not, because they have sinned against the Lord. The habitation of justice, even the Lord, the hope of their fathers. Nations, Gentile nations, that hated the Jews, like during World War II, or even today, would use God as an excuse for their actions against his chosen people. But what, you know, what can you do? But what can you do? The Lord has been patient. He's given the Jews free will. He's given them all that he wants them to have, and plenty more, like kings, priests, princes, princesses, but it's not enough. And this is what Solomon would say, how the, the heart of man is never satisfied, always wanting more. 43, please. The king of Babylon hath heard the report of them, and his hands waxed feeble. Anguish took hold upon him, and pangs as of a woman in travail. This terrified pagan savage is shaking in his boots, because the Lord, like I say, will punish those that punished his own people. You can't fault the Lord. You can't say that he is inconsistent because he's not. Go back to the Old Testament, read it all. The best of the best were challenged, chastised, and sometimes condemned as well. The same is true in the New Testament. 51.5 For Israel hath not been forsaken, nor Judah of his God, of the Lord of hosts, though the land was filled with sin against the Holy One of Israel. I am convinced that during, the world, uh, during World War II, many Jews thought they were through. And I am pretty sure that during World War II, during those dark days where Jews are being rounded up and burnt alive and buried in their thousands and even millions, that countries such as Poland, Catholic country, people were going about their everyday business. People were still going to Mass. People were still getting married. People were still enjoying themselves. And yet, at the same time, many Jews, Jehovah's people, were suffering and perhaps thought that they'd been forsaken. But no, for Israel hath not been forsaken. My people hath not been forsaken. But five again, for Israel hath not been forsaken, nor Judah of his God, of the Lord of hosts, though the land was filled with sin against the Holy One of Israel. Look at verse 9. We would have healed Babylon, but she is not healed. Forsake her, and let us go everyone into his own country. For her judgment reacheth unto heaven, and is lifted up even to the skies. Double application. In Jeremiah's day, concerning Iraq, Babylon being a major city in Iraq. Prophetically speaking, concerning ecclesiastical Babylon in Rome, concerning economical Babylon in Rome. Revelation 17, Revelation 
18. Get out of Babylon, judgment time is imminent. 51.25 Behold, I'm against thee, O destroying mountain, saith the Lord, which destroyest all the earth, and I will stretch out mine hand upon thee, and roll thee down from the rocks, and I will make thee a burnt mountain. That old woman on the seven hills, drunken with the saints, or drunken with the uh, kings of the earth, guilty of the blood of the saints, that old wicked woman on the seven hills which rules over the world. Behold, I'm against thee, O destroying mountain. Papal Rome, of course, saith the Lord, which destroyest all the earth, spiritually for centuries, and even physically. What was the last count? 50 million dead since uh, the fourth century. And I will stretch out my hand upon thee. But doctrine in reference to Nebuchadnezzar, doctrine in reference to Babylon and Iraq. And roll thee down from the rocks, so make thee a burnt mountain. Revelation 18, and I've just finished that recently, speaks about people standing afar off as they see the smoke billowing from miles away, like Abraham would notice when Sodom and Gomorrah was burnt to a crisp. 47, please, 47. Therefore, behold, the days come that I will do judgments upon the graven images of Babylon, and a whole land shall be confounded, and all the slain shall fall in the midst of her. Pagan and papal Rome, and yes, Nebuchadnezzar would have had many images. He was a pagan leader, but this goes back once again to double application. Therefore, behold, the days come that I will do judgments upon the graven images of Babylon, pictures, statues of Mary, pictures, statues of Jesus, pictures, statues of all the saints that you can imagine, and a whole land shall be confounded, being Rome, of course, and all her slain shall fall in the midst of her. Also, we read about it taking uh, six months to bury the dead which will take place during the tribulation. 52, wherefore behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will do judgment upon her graven images, and through all her land the wounded shall groan. The Catholic Church has been able to make a lot of money over a long time concerning indulgences, concerning purgatory, concerning the sale of crucifixes, uh, statues, pictures, paintings, and the Lord says, you know what, I'm sick of it. And that's why he didn't want people to picture him or to try and uh, paint him. If you look at 1 John chapter 5, I think it's verse 13, and I make it 21, the last part of 1 John chapter 5, it says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. So that will conclude Jeremiah and praise the Lord, I was able to finish it. No help to the flies, but to be fair, this is their spot, not mine. Um, but I won't necessarily return to this spot in the future because it's a bit problematic. Hebrews chapter 8, Hebrews chapter 8, look at verse uh, 8, please. 
for finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, partly offered during the time of the Lord Jesus Christ, partly pictured in Acts chapter 2, but ultimately will come into play during the millennium. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continue not in my covenants, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. So if you think about people today that keep the Old Testament, or suggest that they keep the Old Testament, A, that is impossible, but B, it is also uh, not necessary, because the Lord has cancelled it out, if you will. It's now obsolete. For by grace are you saved by faith, and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then you are saved unto good works, and the works are also a gift from the Lord. But here, this old covenant, Exodus chapter 20, like the Ten Commandments, like the civil and ceremonial aspects of the Old Testament, is kaput. Look at the Jews today, they got no priest system, they got no temple, they got no sacrifice. Most of the Jews in Israel are secular. Most of the Jews, going back to 1948, have been either agnostic or atheist. But that doesn't make any difference from our standpoint as Bible believers, as Zionists. We still stand with them. We don't condemn them. And at the same time, when we can, we witness to them. And we make it very clear that unless they receive Christ as their Messiah, John chapter 8, they would die in their sins. It's as simple as that. Nine, nineteen. For when Moses has spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Literal blood back in the Old Testament, was literally sprinkled on literal people, picturing Christ's literal blood shed for the sins of the world. 22, and almost all things are by the Lord purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. So you can't be saved any other way, according to this piece of scripture, outside or apart from the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. It's as simple as that. 24, please. For Christ has not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now... Once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So out goes the Mass, which incidentally, and one more time, isn't a bloody sacrifice. It's a non-bloody sacrifice. But here he died once for the sins of the world. He has drawn all men unto himself once. He has granted once repentance to the Jews, Acts 5, and once to the Gentiles, Acts chapter 11. You get saved once by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you get baptized once by 
total immersion if you can, after you are saved only once. You can't miss it, can you? Unlike the Old Testament times, priests having to go into the temple daily, sometimes morning and evening, to sacrifice animals for their own people, Christ says, forget it. But into heaven itself, 24, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should often, or nor yet that he should offer himself often, like the Old Testament priests, like I say, as the high priest entereth in to the holy place every year with the blood of others. But then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world, end of the old covenant, going into the new covenant, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, by the sacrifice of himself, without any help from Mary, without any, uh, without any help from the Mass, without any help from any priest or prophet or preacher anywhere in the world. And if you come into contact with these rascals that suggest that they can help you, that they can mediate for you when it comes to your salvation, kick them out, discard them. And on that uh, pretty stern point, but it has to be, I think I will start to wrap this message up <coughs> and uh, just say a few final things, and I appreciate uh, you all bearing with me as my friends, the flies, start to return. But like I say, this is their spot, so technically I am, I am uh, an intruder, a trespasser, but... Uh, what you've heard today is how the Lord looks at Jeremiah, a type of Jesus, but more importantly, how he looks at the nations and what he would do with the nations and why he will allow wickedness to take place. He wants people to be saved. He wants to bring people back to him. And sometimes he has to shake people up, like last Wednesday. Sometimes he wants people to stop what they are doing and turn to him. Because when you are dead... You are dead a long time. And that's why Christ would weep over Jerusalem. That's why Christ would crisscross Israel for three and a half years. That's why the prophets, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, would preach to Israel for centuries. And that's why people like myself and others make videos such as this in the scorching sun uh, with flies all around me and my voice about to give out because we want people to be saved. <clears throat> we want to honor the Lord Jesus Christ because he has done a great work in our lives. He has saved us from our own sins. Going back to Matthew chapter 1, <clears throat> his name is Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. To the Jews first of all and then also to the Gentiles. But is he your savior? Have you believed on him? Have you received him? When I look back over the last seven, eight, nine, ten days, and I see people like McGuinness being buried, and I see the world and his wife attending his funeral, and I see people carrying his coffin around the streets of Northern Ireland, and I think to myself, he was pretty popular. A lot of people turned out to pay their respects to him, a former American president, uh, the current Secretary of State to the UK, of, uh, to Northern Ireland, uh, former Irish Prime Ministers, former Northern Ireland First Secretaries, and probably many other people that I didn't see, I think to myself, something is wrong. Because when Christ died, 
he didn't have people standing around in dozens or hundreds paying homage to him. When Paul died, I doubt there were more than two or three people present at his uh, funeral. The world hate the church. The world have always hated Christ. The world have no interest in Christ nor his church. So when you see people like McGuinness getting quite a good send-off, or if you watch the news over last week, and you see people lining up in their droves to pay respects to the dead, and that's all very well, don't get me wrong, but the point is this, the Lord's people stand alone. We have no friends as saved people, we have no allies as saved people. In fact, if you live in the UK, and if you are born again, you are a minority of minorities. Do you know that? You have no one who speaks for you. You have no pressure group that will speak on your behalf. Unlike the Muslims, unlike the Catholics, unlike the Protestants. And that's why you need to be saved and also to get into the scripture. Because when times get tough, when things get really choppy, you will need to be just, uh, just as uh, close to the Savior as is possible. Because like I say, we have no friends, we have no pressure groups, we have no support network, we have no one. We are a peculiar people, and as such, we are to be separated from the world. And don't worry, the world will separate themselves from you if you weren't from them. And I'll read 24 one last time in close. For Christ has not entered into the holy place made with hands. No physical temple. We worship God in spirit and in truth. Almighty God doesn't dwell in temples made with hands, which are the figures, types of the true. But in the heaven itself, third heaven, now to appear in the presence of God for us. What a great picture. Christ Jesus going into heaven itself and leaving his blood there. And if you believe that, if you receive that, you are saved and kept saved. Praise God indeed. And I'll jump out of camera shot. And like I promised during my last message, allow you to see just how high up I am and how beautiful this part of the open-air pulpit actually is. And surprise, surprise, the flies have all gone. How about that? They've been buzzing me for over 90 minutes, and as I start to wrap this message up, they have now vanished, gone with the wind. And I will just leave you with this shot as my battery is about to cut out and wish you every blessing and happiness in the name of our great God, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.